The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Well, good morning, people of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Y'all probably can't hear me with the mask on. Praise the Lord. God is good. All the time. Oh, my goodness. Y'all ready to worship him this morning. As we continue our worship service, we are going to continue our sermon series. Our sermon series has been on uh, the theme or idea that we are called to rest, but not just rest, but rest assured. And the reason we can be assured in our rest is because of the one that we rest solely in. Look at the person and say, it's the one we rest in. Look at your other neighbor and say, I rest in him. And we're going to talk about him this morning. Before we do, um, I like to celebrate. Our staff knows how I enjoy celebrating every Tuesday we start out celebrating what God has done in the midst of his people. Um, And we have good news. I don't know if our brother Jeff Brown is here, but a couple weeks ago, I seen that he was the nurse of the year at Labana. I don't know where he is, but you put your hands together for brother Jeff Brown. Many of you are doing incredible things in our city. Uh, and around and various different things. Would you please inform us of the things that you're doing? We want to celebrate you. We want you to be celebrated because we're proud of the work that the people of God are doing in this city. Amen, somebody? So as we go into Psalm 23, it is important to know that Psalm 23 is a psalm that is written by David. David being the writer, we can also understand that he is possibly writing about something that is happening amid uh, a, an attack, amid possibly even reflecting on what has happened to him. And so keeping that in mind, we understand that David is writing this psalm primarily because there is a shepherd king whose name is Jesus. And he, uh, what he knew him as in the Old Testament, as Yahweh. And he is the individual that is actually leading and guiding David through life. But he's just not doing it. He's calling David to call upon him because he is the only shepherd king that he can rest upon. Before we dive into God's word and reading and introducing it, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful mercy, uh, your marvelous grace, how you've done marvelous things for us all of these days leading in 2021, and how you're consistently showing your favor, your support, and love to your people. I pray, God, that we sense a level of rest, that burdens begin to fall off our shoulders, and we hand them over to you 
cares, we begin to lay them at your altar. Worries, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you take them on. And all that causes us anxiety and stress, Lord, I pray that in this moment and this time, in your presence, we present them to you, knowing that you're the only one that can handle them and give us freedom, rest, assurance. And it's not just a stress-free life that we're looking for, but a life that is filled with love, grace, and mercy in you and in you alone. For we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. All God's people say together, pray for the preacher as he is preaching. Father, help me. Because one of the things that I believe when we look at a scripture like this, sometimes we're so used to quoting it, we're so used to reading it, we overlook some of the intricate details that it presents to us in terms of how we ought to live a life that is rest assured. In Christ alone, I might add. Because the wealth and the robust nature of a psalm of this, we overlook its power. It's Derek Kittner, who's a scholar of Old Testament, said the peace that is pres- that's present in is not escapism. The peace that is present in this text is not escapism. The contentment is not complacency. There is readiness in the face of deep darkness and imminent attack. And the climax reveals a love which homes towards no material goal. Everybody say material goal but to the Lord himself. Let me read our text for us. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, even though I walk, even though I walk, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. As we, and I look up and I see a brother. Y'all pray for Brother Ryan. Um, he, he hurt himself yesterday playing kickball at Charday and LG's baby shower. Pray for him. His whole left side hurting. He needs rest. But rest is not a material goal. Rest is not a material goal. Sir G helped us with that. Artez helped us with that. And Wayne Denny helped us with that. Aren't you glad that God has given us preachers in our congregation? Amen. And each of them helped us remind ourselves that the materialistic aspect in terms of how we look at rest typically looks as if we look to be 
to escape from some reality, from some job, from something that's causing us a level of stress, anxiety, or whatever it may be, and we run to the material thing instead of running to God. The reason I emphasize walk is because one of the main points, the big idea, is that in Christ we lack nothing, so we need to slow down. In Christ, we lack nothing. Therefore, we need to slow down. This is exactly what the psalmist helps us to understand because what he is speaking to is not simply that you find yourselves running to an individual space, a room, primarily for you to find your own comfort, your own joy, your own peace, your own satisfaction, your rest in some material aspect. But yet you find it in the fact that what Jesus has wrapped himself up with is in human flesh, in the way in which he has been beaten, bruised, and for given victory for our sake. But think about this, the hardship that has been wrapped up in our rest, the failure that's been wrapped up in our rest. We cannot live life without these things. We try to live life without failure. We try to live life without hardship. We try to live life without trauma. We try to live life without brokenness. We try to live life without poverty. We try to live life without grief of the, of the loss of our loved ones. We try to live life without having complaining children. We try to live life without trying to go through school. We try to live life by avoiding every single obstacle that is presented to us and yet we do not look at how God is with us through hardship. God is with us through failure. God is with us through grief. God is with us through sorrow. God is with us through pain. God is with us through trauma. He's never left his people and he promises that he will never leave them nor forsake them. Therefore, our peace is not to be realized without the shepherd the chief shepherd, the king, our Christ, in the most devastating circumstances. He is with us and promised to stay with us. But what does it mean? It means that when he's with us and we try not to live a life without him and without everything that comes with it, everything else pales in comparison. It's hard to realize that when you're going through it. Trust me, I understand. But this morning, I want you to know that the resting that we have in Christ is a shepherd that's guiding us through life. Life is this journey. Life is what we need to slow down going to. So many of us, like I always like when my peers, um, I'm a 37-year-old man. Just in case you thought I was older, and you may have mistaken me to be younger. Bless you. But I never want to speed my life up. I don't want to be 75 right now. So you will never hear me talk about dating myself, about when back in the day, or whatever the case may be. I'm going to probably be the dad that my son wants to get rid of because I'm going to probably want to kick it with him all the time. want to always try to be up and current on what's going on. Not realizing that, yes, I am getting older. But yet, the reality is that we all are on a trajectory. And therefore, on being on that trajectory, you have to ask yourself, what has been the pace of my life? 
Has the pace of my life only been to meet certain goals or achievement to retire when I'm 35, to, make a cert- to meet a certain uh, 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 um, benchmark in terms of how much money you want to make, to begin to, to, to hit every single, um, every single thing on your bucket list or try to make sure that you have a house at this age. You have all of these goals that you try to obtain, which are all material, and yet sometimes they're without Christ. We do it to our children. We do it to the kids that we mentor, to the kids that we teach. Do it a lot of times because we present to them a level of excellency that says that if you just do this, matriculate into college, if you just stay out of trouble, if you just change your behavior, if you just get a job, if you just change this about yourself, then life will be this way. Is that true? It cannot be true without Christ. If you tell your kid if they just become more of an excellent athlete, if they train better, work harder, etc., that, that they'll, they'll begin to, to make their way towards the next achievement in being an athlete. I want to present to you and tell you that if you speed your child's life up, if you speed the kids that you mentor or the people in your lives that you are trying to encourage, whatever space or influence that you have, if you don't encourage people to slow down, they'll run themselves into the dirt. Slowing down means that you begin to recognize that you lack nothing apart from the shepherd. There's three points that I have for this morning. And I want you to realize these three points is this, is that we lack nothing so that we must look to the shepherd. We lack nothing so that we must look to the shepherd. Point number two, we lack nothing so we must, so we need to rely on his guidance and protection. And then thirdly, we lack nothing, so we prosper even in despair. How many of us live our lives looking for the next thrill? Anxiously waiting the next big thing. Or some of you are saying, I'm just waiting on my Amazon subscribe and save package. But most of us are waiting on something. And so we're perpetually asking ourselves a question internally as to when is it going to come? When is it going to happen? When is this thing going to meet my expectations? My son helps me with this. He, pre- he, he tests my patience. This week in particular, this brother was asking me a trillion questions. And it it took me all of the patience in the world just to say, son, I just need you to sit in the car and just ride with daddy. But what he would do is he he would ask me these questions of, you know, what are we doing after we get to the house? Well, I say when we get to the house, we're going to clean up and we're going to do it. Okay, what are we going to do after we do that? Well, after we do that, then we're going to go and we're going to, you know, take a drive. What are we going to do once we do that? And so everything was, what are we going to do until he realizes I'm going to either say we're taking a siesta or it's, or it's time to go to bed. Every Sunday we have a siesta. We get home, it's laid down. I don't care what it is, lay it down. I don't even care if you're tired, lay it down. We got a busy Sunday today, so siesta happened yesterday. And so he was always asking and anticipating when I am going to say you need to rest. Interesting to me. 
because he doesn't want to rest. And you know, whenever a child is tired, they, you can see it in their behavior, the way they move and function, how they're just tirelessly and aimlessly wanting to do the next thing. And even, he even talks a lot, even when he's tired. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how you feel anxious when you have to slow down. I want you to think about how you can't stop asking yourself the question because you're trying to meet the next goal. You're, you're wondering, wondering what's next after college? What's next after this job? What's next after this career? What's next after I date this person? What's next after my marriage? What's next after this? What's next after I meet my workout goal? What's, what's next after I drop the 30 pounds? What's next? I just want to encourage you to know that God is not trying to have you anticipate every outcome that your heart desires. But he wants our hearts to find rest in the fact that we can slow down and know that in the fact that we won't lack nothing if we don't even know what's next. We don't have to fear if we don't know what's next. We can continue to trust in him, rely on him, and we can continue to pray to him as the God that always knows the plans of what's next. So then when we look at our first point, when Christ, in Christ we lack nothing, so we must look to the shepherd. Now, Artez messed it up because the brother finished his sermon in like 10 minutes. I don't think I'm going to ever meet that goal. So bear with me. When we look at what he says, you have to ask yourself, do I realize how needy I am? Do you realize how needy you are? You need something every day. But sometimes you don't realize it. I don't need nothing, Mike. Don't you need the breath in your lungs to breathe? Don't you need the function in your faculties of your mind in order to think and do what you need to do every single day? How, how often do we slow down and understand that God has given us stability to make it day by day with the most common things of our, of our humanity? So the question challenges us because many of us would deem ourselves to be fairly self-sufficient and managing things very well. And we then have to say to ourselves, maybe we are completely oblivious to our neediness. We like are, are like stubborn sheep where there's an illustration where Jerry talks about his parents who owns a, a farm, a sheep farm. And every day, few days, they have to take off because they have to go find the wandering sheep. They don't know how to find their way home. Once they leave the farm, once they get out of the parameters, they don't know how to go where they need to go. And sometimes when that you finds themselves in labor, what happens immediately, they begin to sit down. Isn't it funny that labor causes us to sit down? We too are like sheep, impregnated with so much that when we sit down immediately, we don't realize that we, can't, we don't have the function like this sheep who's facing downhill to sit and we can, if we stay in that direction, like that sheep, we're fighting against gravity to push the lamb out of our womb. Impregnated with what? With worry? With anxiety? 
by what's next because you feel like you're lacking something, or as we would say, the theory missing out, the FOMO aspect of things? What's next? Do you trust God enough to understand that he is coming to you like this family, making sure that he pursues you because you don't know how to turn around? You don't know how to get back. You need God to search for you. You need the family of God to be with you. You need community around you. You can't continuously try to do life by yourself, or you can't continuously try to fight a life when they fast pace every weekend, every day, every time you're meeting something. By the time 8 o'clock gets down, you don't know, and you're spent. Even your children are spent. And then you wake up tomorrow and you do the same thing the next day. When did you look to the shepherd? When did you look to the king? When did you look to him? Are you stubborn and you don't want to look to him because you know what he's going to say? Slow down. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear slow down because we will... Fear missing out. But the solution is not us making a solution. Uh, it is the one who is the way maker, whose name is Jesus Christ, who's the shepherd and knows how to lead and guide you. Trust me, David understands because he demonstrates a Christ-centered neediness in the fact in the verse 1 where he says, the Lord is my." shepherd, the personal pronoun, which actually indicates that he is declaring that there is one shepherd of his soul and there is no one else that will shepherd him. Not only is Christ alone Yahweh his shepherd, but he too lacks absolutely nothing, not one single thing. And so when you understand this, David has a level of wisdom that he demonstrates through his Psalms. If you just take this week and begin to meditate on this scripture, and uh, as, as you listened to a podcast probably before with Lectia Divina, you would just meditate and practice praying through this this week. Trust me, if you just cross-reference a couple things, you'll come across chapter 37, verse 25 of Psalm, where David seemed to be a little bit more experienced in life. And he says, I've been young and now old and, uh, and, and, uh, and old and am old. And yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or the children begging for bread. In the gospel of Jesus, he reminds us in Matthew chapter six, where he says, you ought not to be anxious about anything. Absolutely nothing, because I take care of the, the birds of the sky. I actually clothe the lilies of the field. And trust me, in verse 30, when he says all you need to do is to be encouraged to seek first the kingdom of God in all these things not some not just a few but all these things will be added unto you I want to speak to the high schooler to the middle schooler and to the uh, to the elementary kid you need to understand that yes school is going to get more and more difficult each and every day school cannot teach you the wisdom that the scriptures teach you your teacher cannot teach you what the Bible can teach you. Your parents are here to shepherd you, lead you to the chief 
king shepherd to understand that he is the one that will lead and guide your soul. He is the one that will lead and care for you each and every day. Even when kids make fun of you, even when someone tells you that the color of your skin looks a particular way, even when you're struggling restlessly because you don't understand problems or how to solve them or you are struggling with the social ills of today in your own stratosphere where you don't believe that your parents can relate. Can I tell you something? That if you continue to be in this house, this is the house of the Lord. If you continue to trust in him, this is the God that you ought to trust in. He will help you navigate some of the most difficult situations of your life. Even when you hit puberty, even when you get 21 years old, trust me, God will continue to give you wisdom and discernment for some of y'all that are matriculating into college. And I know some of y'all are not going to the best university in the nation, and that is the University of Missouri, but I'm praying that God leads and guide you out of the wilderness. However, must I tell you, because I believe it, beloved, that when you go to college, professors are going to try to tell you not to believe in this Christ. Professors are going to tell you how to think intellectually. And I need, to tr I need you to understand that the wisdom and the intricacies and the comprehensiveness of Jesus Christ, the shepherd, nobody on the face of this planet can teach you, lead you, and guide you like him. You will lack nothing from him. And the reason this is important, because David acknowledges that God, once again, is his shepherd. Why is that important? Because when you get to Jeremiah 44 and 8, Israel continuously exemplifies that they're trying to escape from some reality. And we know that reality is captivity. And their work righteousness leads them to try to find rest and peace. We do the same thing. This is why the Lord says to them in Jeremiah 44 and 8, why do you provoke me to anger with works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt? Where have you come to live so that you may be cut off and become a, become a curse and taunt and a taunt among all the nations of the earth? What Israel was doing was actually trying to earn something from other deities because they materialize themselves. They can see them. They can set a deity right there, or they can look at the moon and the skies, and they can worship those very things. Studying the book of Isaiah all 32 years that we just did, we understand that Israel was always prone to wonder. Always prone to wonder. But yet, the reality is, if they didn't understand the shepherd like they ought to, they would know that the promise of him always being with them was the, pro the same promise for them to understand that what slowing down meant for them was to always look to him. Church, I want to make it plain for us this morning that we too worship gods of materialism. They make themselves up as safety, a way of life, the dream life. And I want to be more concrete um, because I feel like the Lord has been dealing with me thinking about our city and thinking about all of the, the cultural barriers and distinctions that we have. I want to be way more concrete because some of us come from East Memphis, South Memphis, North Memphis, West Memphis, for all the way out there um, where they call it Memphis, but it's not really Memphis. So many people believe that there is a way of life and they begin to chase that. They begin to chase the life that says, well, I need to be a stay-at-home mom. 
they, need to ch- they begin to chase the life where it says that, well, I need two college degrees. They begin to chase a life that says that I need to have this salary in order to make a sustainable life. They begin to chase this idea that I need to fight for justice, and so I need to be the one to do etc. They begin to chase a life that says, well, the way I look around my family, I got hustlers. I got people that are walking around with money in their pocket, and they didn't go to college, and so that's the way of life I need to pursue. I need to take from other people because I see what it looks like to take from somebody else, and it's easy to get away with that. I need to live this way of life that tells me that the only people, and see, we don't talk about this a lot of times, that are going to love me are people that are in the streets and they start gangs because they're the people that they find community. But see, a lot of times, once again, we get upset at gangs. Why get upset at gangs? Why get upset at gang activity? When we can be the individuals that are actually loving people who don't feel loved. Restlessness doesn't only start with us trying to think about how we are eliminating things in our lives. Restlessness starts with infancy. Restlessness starts with people who who are youth, who are dealing with life situations that some of us have never dealt with before. And so the way of life is materializing itself all apart from Jesus Christ. We see this in the political stratosphere. If it's just a Democrat in the office, then things will move on right. If it's just a Republican Party in the office, then things will move on right. If we just have bipartisanship, then things will be all right. If, if, if we don't have the conservatives doing, spewing the stuff that they're spewing, if we don't have the liberals spewing the stuff that they're spewing, things will be all right. This way of life that we will see will be all right. Beloved, let me tell you something. The world is tainted by sin. Nothing will be all right until Jesus comes and makes all things all right. So the rest that we need is a rest to slow our hearts down, to slow our minds down, and to understand that we need to always look to the shepherd for the way of life. And we can no longer lay at the altar these false and mute gods of materialism, hoping that a life of righteousness will come without deprivation. A life of righteousness does not come with a life of deprivation. I mean, without deprivation. That means that you will always have a constant need, beloved. It's the thing. Do you understand your neediness? Do you understand that you will always need more? You will always need him, and you can't find it anywhere else. This is why verses 2 through 3 help us, because here, when we follow the verbs, we see that he leads. This first verb that we see in this, we shall not lack. We should not want. Then he leads us with other words. He leads. He restores. He leads. This imagery of the shepherd who is the king or deliverer is intentionally initiating a redemptive work in our hearts, in our minds, folks. And what he's trying to tell us is that the idea of laying down in green pastures and leading us beside still waters is this idea that he's providing peacefulness in the imagery and restfulness in as a dwelling place. Notice that the waters are not turbulent or life-threatening. And notice that, in fact, that the imagery of the soul being restored and nurtured means that it's being able to be led 
doing paths of righteousness and is not being filled with unrighteous paths or stumbling blocks. The imagery is for us to depict that where is this resting place? Where is this dwelling? When you get to verse 6, you see it. He, he completes it when he says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. This restfulness, this dwelling place is only in Christ and Christ alone. Therefore, when you find this idea of what you need, you're constantly and perpetually asking yourself then, if I am then restored, Psalm 19.7 helps me and lets us know that my, the reviving that needs to happen in my heart comes from an awareness of my deep neediness and, soul, and needing to be solely dependent upon God to revive me, to restore me, to renew me in my heart, in my mind, in all kinds of ways. Because what is it? It is the law of the Lord that is perfect, that revives, or as the NIV says, that is refreshing to the soul. Testimony of God, of the Lord, sorry, is sure and making wise. It's simple. It's the simple. Somebody got some water. I need some water. This becomes a priority. We in our lives for us to understand that we need to, everybody say it with me, slow. Everybody say it, slow down. And the reason we need to slow down is because we're wired to be in a fast-paced society. When you begin to apply scripture, you begin to be in your waiting place. I want you to understand that what God is doing is sanctifying you. Restfulness is not an idea where God is not doing the work of sanctification. Therefore, when you look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it's helpful. This helps us to apply it, where it says, Trust in the Lord in all your ways and do not lean into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge. What am I telling us to do? The first thing is to look to the shepherd. Acknowledge, acknowledge him, and he will, what is he already doing? Making a path of righteousness? Make your path straight, or make straight your path, as the text says. That's important because the proverb also says that fools despise what? Instruction. Young people, when you're getting instruction, don't be foolish. Listen. Because fools despise instruction. And we, when we're obtaining guidance, we have to adhere to wisdom. Young people, I know you think you know more than your parents. I know you think you know more than, 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 than the mentors in your life, than your teachers. But can I tell you something? That when they tell you the stove is hot, Trust and believe that the stove is hot because what they experience, they are trying to parent you to, to make sure you don't make the same mistakes, although you will make mistakes. And then adults, grown folks, please understand that you too can be very foolish because you think that you've adopted a two a thing of three, and you think that you, that you got all of the wisdom and instruction in the world. 
and you don't need to learn no more. What the Bible teaches us is that the humility we need for rest is a humility that we understand that we all need to slow down, not just because you're 10 years old. Even if you're 65, you need to slow down even more because you should know that the wisdom of the Lord tells you and what you've learned over time is something that shows you that it is only God that can open the doors that you're trying to open. It's only God that can handle the anxiety that you've been trying to handle. It's only God that can help you break free from the trauma that you've been trying to break free from. Are you tracking with me this morning? I, because what I believe next, in terms we, in, uh, for us to slow down and recognize in our neediness for pointing ourselves to, the, to Christ, the lack of, in point two, in Christ, we lack nothing and therefore, we need to rely on his guidance and protection is very important because I believe we legitimately resist his guidance and protection. I think that we do. If you don't think you, that you do, I, I understand, but I just want you to take a moment to reflect on ways that you've been prideful, arrogant, and ignorant. I want you to reflect on that. Because when, when humility hits us, a lot of times we won't post certain things on our Instagram. We don't feel that it's necessary that we have to say every single thing. Or somebody has to listen to absolutely every single thing. And see, I, I'm, of, I'm on the higher end of the millennial thing, so I know when you're trying to post something on Instagram or you think that you got to say something, it's coming out of anxiety. It's coming out of, of a desire to feel needed to want to feel heard, and so you're restlessly and tirelessly trying to make yourself feel known. Beloved, can I tell you that somebody that knows you more in more ways than not? Beloved, can I help you to see that even when you, yes, there's, that you may not be, feel like I'm, I'm not on social media and I'm a millennial, and so you're you excited about that. But let me tell you, when you go shopping and the things that you feel like you put on, the things that you have to wear, the things that you feel like you have to fit into, into society, what happens a lot of times, what you're resisting is God's guidance and his protection for you materializing a life that only makes him look like one way of life. Are you tracking with me this morning? I, I, I believe it, but I believe what, what the text helps us with, beloved, is that when we recognize that our arrogance, our pride, and our ignorance are in the way, we then will understand that we have not savored the sweet richness of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've yet to, oh, taste and see the goodness and the sweetness of what Psalm 119 and 110 tells us, that he is sweet as, as the honey. Makes me want to do my rants. Allen impression. Uh, yeah. Some of y'all will get it, some of y'all won't. But when we understand the, the richness and the sweetness of the Lord in this word, what happens is we understand that he is the one that is trying to guide us and lead us, but yet we don't want to savor that. We, we want something more, and we think that we can have something more. And the way I want to I, I, I use an analogy of a GPS, because I'm totally relying on a GPS. I remember when, you know, you had to use the big old map and pinpoint where you had to go. And then it became MapQuest after the time, and you printed out your map, and you had the turn-by-turn -turn instructions. But I love having my phone and the GPS going. The other day, my aunt was, 
She's in St. Louis, and she was navigating herself about 45 minutes away from downtown, and she didn't have a GPS. Fancy car, no GPS. I don't know why you would buy a car like that and not have GPS. Phone, don't have GPS. She don't even use GPS. And so she's saying, can you help me navigate? And I can feel her anxiety through the phone. But meanwhile, I'm waiting on my Panera. I like the turkey teriyaki bowl, and I was getting a teriyaki bowl because I'm trying to keep my life together sometimes. And I'm anxious because or frustrated because the line taking too long. And so I'm on the phone with somebody that's anxious, and I'm getting frustrated because the line's going taking too long. But as I'm listening to her, she's so overwhelmed that she can't even listen to directions. I'm giving her all of the instructions, but she's going off on me because she doesn't know what's the next turn, but I'm trying to tell her the next turn. Have you ever had that frustrating conversation? But what happened was I was able to coordinate her house to where the place she was supposed to be, and I was able to give her all of the turn-by-turn instructions. And so I began to think about, like, if I, what would I do without GPS? I'd be horrified. Even when I'm in remote areas, even when I've been driving, when I've driven, y'all heard me talk about driving through the mountains. GPS, even when I lose signal, continues to go on. Do you know why? It's connected to a a satellite. And that satellite, as long as I don't recalibrate my phone, keeps me going in the right direction I should be going. Can you believe that, beloved? What would I do without GPS? Because let let me tell you something. That as long as we are connected to the source, who is our guidance, who is our protection, who is Jesus Christ. When the psalmist talks about being led through or walking through dark valleys, the shadows of darkness, the idea of being protected, the idea of not fearing evil, the idea of being able to sit amid enemies, amid chaos, and knowing that he's providing is a restfulness that no one can ever give you besides the chief shepherd. So when David says that he walks, how many of y'all walk through a haunted house? If you do, you're crazy. I I don't do haunted houses. I don't do anything that's scary. Uh, But I was watching a video. Remind you, I don't do anything that's scary, so I watch videos. And a man was walking on a trail, two cubs and a bear was following him. And the brother was so calm, he's walking backwards with the video on the bears. For me, I would have just died immediately. Snapped my neck, went on ahead to see Jesus. Because I, I didn't want to go through the revenant tape. That's not what I wanted to do. But what I was amazed by was the fact that he knew exactly what to do in a life-threatening situation. Composure. Knowing that what, if he would react a certain way, that that would alarm them and would cause more fear and more chaos. But his calmness showed me that what fear looks like a lot of times, it's not that you don't recognize the imminent threat. It's not that you don't recognize what is around you that would take you out. It's the fact that you understand how to compose yourself by trusting that God is leading and guiding and protecting you and through some of the most dark situations that oftentimes lead you to think that he is no longer with you. When you look at the, and notice the shift in the pronouns, you understand that he's with you. 
David goes from I, even though I walk through the, through the valley, I will fear no evil. He goes to, for you are with me. You are, you, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I want you to think about that because the metaphor there is to help us to understand that the rod is for defense and protection. The staff is for guidance and control. And so when you think about the idea of assurance when it comes to rest, assurance comes by the guidance and protection. What does that mean? How is that very practical? Have you ever thought about the day of how you Sabbath or how you rest if you were to walk away from your office? If, let's just say you were to walk away from your office understanding and knowing that you have important things to do, but yet you can still rest and trust in the Lord without even pushing a button? Making sure that you are making time for yourself to breathe and not overwork yourself, not overexert yourself, not think that everything ends and begins with you. Beloved, when we walk through dark valleys, we have to understand that they are not different from green pastures. Beloved, when you walk through dark valleys, they're not different than green pastures. The environment is, but God is still there. So how is it that you can walk through dangerous situations? It's because you know that God is with you. The dark valley, as Kidner says, is truly one of God's right paths. Because remember, he talks about paths of righteousness connected to your soul. Right then, and the next thing he goes to is these dark valleys. And then he, he connects us right into this idea that when you walk through these dark valleys, just like you are able to lie down in green pastures, you won't even fear evil. Because God is the rod and the staff. So what does that mean? We can slow down when we are walking through some of the most difficult situations in life. When your counselor is walking with you through some, some of the most traumatic things in your life. You can walk through it. It's hard, but you don't have to fear it. It's difficult, but you don't have to avoid it. You can walk through it. Beloved, one of the last things, and I'll wrap us up, is that we, in Christ, we lack nothing. So here's the idea. We will prosper even in despair. When we slow down, what happens is we understand that our prosperity is connected to the intimacy we have in Christ. Our prosperity is connected to the intimacy we have in Christ. Now, no health and wealth preacher will tell you that. No, 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 come get your blessing now. Preacher ain't gonna tell you that. No, if you just pray five times or if you just come on, praise them right now, and something's gonna happen, it's going to tell you that, I promise. Just because some of those things happen for people when they testify about it doesn't mean that's how God operates. I know people 
who've said that these are the five things that I need to do. These are the things that I've seen presented, and God has blessed me this way. And they've been tremendously blessed, but God has blessed several different individuals because of common grace. So just because you do something doesn't mean that it executes or equals something else. Prosperity happens when you're intimate with Christ. So when we slow down, we begin to see God's goodness and his mercy that, and how it follows us. Look at what it says. Surely goodness and mercy will follow. The shall is will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. So he encapsulates a lot of what he has said in the previous couple of verses by saying that your prosperity is the fact that you can relax on the couch called victory. Knowing that the dwelling place is connected to this refuge is in that in strength that is Christ, who is your high tower. And you understand then that the peace or the solitude, the rest, the Sabbath, the way in which you slow down in life is not connected to how much you do, but it's connected to how much you trust in God. How much you slow down in your walk. Have you ever seen somebody speed walk a marathon? I'm going to keep working on that marathon deal. You ever seen somebody? I know people who walk, speed walk, the entire marathon. To me, it seems like, wow, why would you want to do that for so long? It seems so gruesome. But at the same time, they understand their pace. They understand how to navigate the walk or the race. And as they do it, they understand what follows them. And so this idea in which where David is trying to connect, he is saying that but since the enemy has never been taken lightly in Scripture, he's never been taken lightly in Scripture. We can never take this situation lightly. And it's become more and more anticipated in this particular text that prosperity equals victory in celebration. This is why you can feast right now. So the connection between being able to walk And feasting says that you can sit down because even though things are not all together, what God is doing in the dwelling place is making such the prospect a better, making such the prospect is the prospect which is uh, uh, um, the enemy uh, or the situation is better than the feast. In the Old Testament world, to eat and drink at someone's table was to create a bond or mutual loyalty. And could be culminating token of a a covenant. And you see this when God in Exodus 24, 8 through 12, when the elders of Israel say, behold, God, he ate and drank. And it was again at the supper when Jesus Christ announced the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which we take and institute every time in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. So God is, 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 So to be God's guest is to be more than an acquaintance because you're not invited for a day. You are to live with Christ. This is why you can then slow down. Let me wrap us up with this. This notion in which you slow down is to know what you can control. So I told you, you slow down these ways by recognizing he's your shepherd, by understanding that in the fact that you are lacking nothing, you actually know how much you need him. Then you come to understand that your prosperity is connected to the fact that even though you're going through despair, 
it doesn't deter God's victory. How do I know this? Or how has God taught me this? Two, two ways he's taught me this. I, I remember just being in the middle of the water and waves crashing, and I'm by myself. And as the waves were crashing, and, and there was a bit of fear and terror on my end because I'm like, if I fall off, you know, a boat can hit me or something like that, right? But at the, at the same time, the Lord seriously was speaking to me. And I, I believe I heard the Lord say, you can't control these waves, nor can you control the boats and everybody else around you. All you can do, all you can do is control what you are driving right now. If we lead life that way, it helps us to slow down. Because waves will crash. Waters sometimes will be more troubled than they are not. But the idea is not to try to control it. In that moment, I took a time and I took a deep breath. And I said, I trust you, Lord. And then my son, in that same water as we were walking on the shore, he didn't want to go any deeper. But you know, the sandbar oftentimes is kind of far out sometimes, right? He didn't realize that he's getting a little bit taller. And I want to note that we've seen a baby shark, just so you know that. And the idea was, he's like, I don't want to go further in the water, Dad. I was like, son, but do you realize how tall you are? I said, I don't want to go down deep in the water. And so I took his hand and we began to walk. And as he felt the water creep up, I said, do you see still that you're taller even though you go further out? And even though that I was holding his hand, I still felt him trembling. The reason that moment stuck out to me because I feel as if the Lord was still speaking to me in that moment. That I too am like my son and I believe we are like children. Sometimes there are things that we are holding on to God's unchanging hand and we can talk about rest till we're blue in the face and how much assurance we have, but you are still trembling when you're holding on to his hand. So I don't end this sermon saying that you walk out of here and rest going to make you feel good and you're just going to walk out of it and be. I'm saying that I know that this week may be terrifying. And I know that you may have some decisions that are troubling. But I want to encourage you to slow down. Only control what you can control. The rest does not come because there is complete and absolute solitude. It comes because you're connected to the shepherd and you lack absolutely nothing. Father, we thank you because you're one who reminds us that you are Good, your mercy endures forever. And the division you give us is one, Lord, that oftentimes causes us not to want to rely on you or even dwell in you. But God, you say that you are our dwelling place. And Lord, you overflow our cups and there is no weapon that will harm us. You guide us through the mountains and the valleys, and you refresh and you restore our souls. Mercy and goodness are always following us, but yet at the same time, Lord, we feel 
the pressures of life. Help us to understand that this psalm is not a psalm that merely means that everything's going to be all right. But it is a psalm of confidence that says that we can continue, Lord, to slow down. We can continue to lack absolutely nothing. It's okay to be absolutely needy because you are the good shepherd. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to know your voice. Some of us have big decisions to make on where we're going to live, on where we're going to move, on who we're going to marry, and how we're going to go about things. I pray now, Lord, that the rest that comes over the people of God is one that reminds them of this here assurance that they have in Christ alone. For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. All God's people say together, amen.